Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, June 29th. We begin with a conversation with a Calgary doctor and a member of the Canadian Muslim Research Think Tank who says he can no longer support Jason Kenney and the United Conservative Party. We'll hear his reasons why. The pandemic has been devastating on the restaurant industry and now we're hearing stories about some restaurants having trouble getting their staff to return to work. We get details from Restaurants Canada. You know how loud emergency vehicles are when you pass them on the street, so imagine how loud it must be for first responders inside those vehicles. We'll find out how a Calgary-based company plans to help. It's an online resource aimed at helping students and teenagers learn tips and techniques to create healthy relationships and effective communication. Details on an online webinar created by Punjabi Community Health Services. And finally, another inspirational story of a Calgarian giving back to his neighbours during the pandemic. We'll meet another community champion. 812 now, Calgary doctor and UCP member says he can no longer support the Premier nor a party that disrespects Aboriginal, First Nations, Inuit and Métis people and supports colonial mentality and white privilege. We're joined this morning by Dr. Ali Zaidi to discuss a letter that he wrote to the Prime Minister and we say good morning to you. Hi Dr. Zaidi. Good morning, how are you doing? Excellent, thank you so much for joining us. In your letter, you announce you're leaving the UCP, tendering your resignation from the board position as well in the constituency office of Calgary West, citing a lack of action and acknowledgement by Jason Kenney. So we'd love for you to explain to us exactly what, what it is via this letter that you're feeling so strongly about. Well, you know, it, it, it is sad what happened to the First Nations and somebody like Paul Berner who wrote an article disrespecting First Nations, their, the genocide they went through and the cultural genocide that happened to residential school for a hundred years. He, he made some, uh, a complete mockery of it and makes fun of First Nations. So the individuals like that, you know, have a right to whatever they want to do, but they definitely should not be working for the government and being paid by taxpayers' money. And, and 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 for that, I, I felt that I cannot no longer support a premier and, and, and a political party who allow individuals like that to be in, in, in our system. And what I really want is that from every municipal, uh, every, uh, every consular, MP, MLA, and, and every um, MP across Canada to put a private member's bill if, if, if their party cannot support. But anyone, but anyone who denies First Nations genocide and, and the effect of residential schools should have the same acknowledgement as for the, uh, the, uh, the denial of Holocaust. Mm. You know, uh, Dr. Zaidi, there have been calls by the NDP, the Alberta Treaty Nation, and other groups uh, that uh, Paul Bunyan, uh, Bunyan rather, be ousted from the UCP, yet uh, Premier Kenny hasn't yet. We had one of the textures remind us that you are judged by the company you keep. So whether or not this, these are the thoughts of Premier Jason Kenny um, within, you know, the, the UCP tent is Paul Bunner. So why do you think he has not ousted uh, Bunner? Well, I can't speak of why he has not. But what this reflects is that he accepts his behavior, and this reflects upon the party and and him himself that he allows these thoughts and individuals who disrespect First Nations and completely ignore the fact that it happened. So, whether what what's he thinking or not, but his action reflect that he 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 uh, accepts his behavior and allows that to happen in his party. 
I mean, what the texter said, you're judged by the company you keep. It, it really it's, it's really speaks a lot to what some people think about this UCP party. So are you disappointed that you have to leave a political party that you, you felt aligned to at one point? I am. I'm really disappointed. And what are you hoping for? What, what would you like to see happen? I'd like to see other members of, uh, of UCP who have joined the party like me because of the uh, nature of what this party was supposed to offer. And I, I really love my, my MLA, Mike Ellis. He's, he's a great guy. But I think if he cannot stand up for what's right, then I, I would have to stand up and leave the party. And I think other people who support UCP or are members of UCP should do the same so that yeah, that Kenny understands that, you know, he cannot be in power forever. And I think this is the time where Albertans should start thinking about whether coming election they will vote for Alberta party, the NDP or the Liberals. But they have to start thinking now. Um, you recently had a publicized run-in with Health Minister Tyler Shandro, who showed up at your house and uh, had words with you, uh, you know, heated words in front of your family, does that have anything to do with your decision to leave the party? No, if that would have anything, I would have left it a long time ago. That was a personal matter, his his lack of judgment on on his side. Furthermore, Kenny kind of, you know, defamed me on his own way. But I think that was personal matter, and, and I, I was happy to still work within the party to improve it. But I think what what is happening now is, is a... Uh, it, it's, a, it's a complete colonial behavior, which have, I just can't tolerate. Have you heard yet from the Premier, from Jason Kenney, Dr. Zaidi? No, not yet. Nobody, like not Kenny, not anybody from the party, any MLA minister or anybody even from, from even good faith has called me and said they, they kind of, uh, uh, they were sorry for the behavior that the, the minister had exhibited. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That is Dr. Ali Zaidi, a Calgary doctor and member of the Canadian Muslim Research Think Tank. 709. So what should and what can restaurant owners do if their staff is unwilling to return to work or only want to return with shortened hours due to the fact they're getting CERB payments? This is an issue. We're discussing with uh, some of the current struggles that the restaurant industry is facing right now with Vice President Western Canada of Restaurants Canada, Mark Von Shelwitz. Hi, Mark. How are you this morning? Not too bad. Good morning, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us. So are we? Are you hearing, is this really a big issue that, you know, a lot of the workers from restaurants on the CERB as this pandemic shut everything down, is, that a, is it really a, a big issue for restaurants now trying to get workers to come back? So it certainly was an issue uh, when we did a survey back in May, Sue, of uh, about roughly half of our members were uh, either very or extremely concerned that their employees might not return back to work once the emergency measures were lifted. But uh, since we've now reopened, I think more and more uh, staff are coming back. I think they're comfortable coming back. However, you know, some employers also have to show some flexibility uh, and, uh, you know, allow those that still want to have serve payments for a while to get their extra thousand dollars that they're allowed to earn and and uh, and stay on serve a little bit longer but i would say that that's certainly uh, the exception rather than the rule and and most uh, staff are, are certainly eager to come back and i think they feel safe to come back to work as well but but i certainly have had some members talk to me about uh, uh, those reluctant employees due to serve and sometimes some other issues and sometimes it may just be that the staff person's um you know 
quite concerned about uh, about the spread and 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 worries that uh, there may be an extra risk to them for uh, you know working in the restaurant environment. But uh, once again, I think that's the exception, not the rule. Okay. And I guess it's a case by case basis, Mark. In that, if uh, I have half capacity and you have a waiter, for example, who's not been on that long, and you can only offer them. 15 hours a week and other people are getting there full time, it, it, it makes sense. So this is probably a conversation that has to be had between the restaurant owners and management and the staff themselves. Exactly. Uh, and, and like you say, each circumstance is very, very different. And, you know, we're a very uh, wide ranging industry with, with uh, many different sectors and many different staff requirements. So it really often does depend on the on literally an establishment-by-establishment basis and how this would work. But uh, I know that this was certainly more of a concern uh, in May than it has been in our most recent survey in June, but but it's still out there. But I think as we're getting closer and closer, even though CERB has been extended again a little bit longer, I think uh, more and more staff are are coming back in. And uh, we understand in May we brought back roughly 8,000 of those temporary laid-off staff. So they are coming back into the restaurant, but uh, certainly operating at roughly 50% capacity, it's still not possible to bring them all back. Mark, can you tell us any more about what you learned in your June survey when you were checking in with the restaurants and the employees? Yes, yeah, certainly. Our, well, our, in our June survey, what uh, we learned more was not so much on the employment side. It was on uh, it's still impossible to break even for many, many of our members. So we found out in our June survey that 60% of our members that have reopened are doing so at a loss. And then another 22% of our members are just breaking even on top of that. So, uh, so that's less than 20% of the industry that's actually operating with some positive cash flow right now. And, of course, uh, that impacts the staff as well because we're not able to bring back as many staff as we'd like um, you know, operating in those types of situations. So that's why I think it's important for governments to continue to come to the table with sort of ongoing supports to make sure that uh, uh, that restaurateurs can survive um, uh, COVID-19 restrictions until we get sent back to some sort of normalcy because without the restaurants opening in the communities, you know, part of those communities are, are, are dying as well. So we need to get those restaurants reopened as the third largest private sector employer uh, and uh, have those uh, people contribute back to getting the economy running again. Mm-hmm. Restaurants Canada, do you folks do any um, forecast or, or do you have any idea of the impact as far as what percentage of restaurants, and I'm thinking perhaps the smaller ones, uh, might not make it through the pandemic? Yes, in our last June survey, we we did do some um, surveying as far as who's open and under what circumstances, and we find that roughly a quarter of, of our members are reopened for on-premise dining and takeout and delivery. We have another 47% of our members that are open just for takeout and delivery. And that leaves about 23% of our uh, members that uh, say they have not opened yet. Uh, They may never reopen. They're permanently closed. Uh, So all the time they're looking to, um, to see whether or not the math makes sense for them to be able to reopen. Uh, and eventually get into some sort of positive cash flow. But uh, but what our members say, it's going to be a long, slow road to recovery, uh, with the average restaurant saying that they're going to take between 17 and 35 months to get into some sort of a positive cash flow. When you take into consideration little to no income for a couple of months, that accumulated debt, uh, plus the uh, the reopening costs, which are significant for a lot of restaurants as well, 
you put all that together and it makes it really difficult to, to break even. So uh, we're, we're going to keep working at it. And, you know, we're a resilient industry that's had to reinvent themselves. And we have a lot of uh, small restaurateurs out there trying to reinvent themselves, but roughly a quarter has still not opened up or made that decision mm-hmm. to open up. Mark, what do you see coming up? I mean, as we look to Calgary, particularly Alberta as a province of phase three, when that when that does happen, do you think there will be plexiglass starting to show up in restaurants or do you think we'll start to see people at tables next to each other again? What do you envision and what do you think is going to happen? I certainly think that we're going to be in a situation for, for several months more where there's going to be some sort of social distancing measures in place and where all of these new reopen safety plans are, are going to be extremely relevant as far as you know the personal distance or the sort of the physical distancing uh, sanitation and personal hygiene plans I think they're going to be the, with us for for quite some time to come and only when we either have a vaccine or we get uh, into a situation where where the curve is so flattened that uh, we can get rid of these physical distance requirements I think they're still going to be here for for quite some time to come certainly into the foreseeable future. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, all Ca- uh, Calgarians and Canadians for that matter should be uh, supporting. And that's something you guys have been great with, uh, we're hearing in, in, in our city. Wednesday is takeout day. Is that an initiative you're seeing across the nation for uh, different uh, parts of the, the country? Yeah, and I certainly really appreciate, I know in Alberta, Premier Kennedy, he helped with the takeout messaging and, and uh, for takeout Wednesdays. And I think... Uh, the whole takeout and delivery aspect of the food service industry is completely going to be changed, I think, permanently as Mm -hmm. takeout and delivery sales are going to become an increasingly important part of the sales mix uh, for restaurants going forward. So I certainly appreciate all the support from the celebrities, from the politicians and and others who have come to to help the industry. And I know Mayor Nenshi as well has has done several shout-outs uh, to Calgarians to get out to restaurants. So we appreciate all the supports that uh, all levels of government have shown the industry in, in helping us get restarted and, and, and contribute back to those communities out there. Well, we appreciate you joining us with an update. Thanks, Mark. Uh, my pleasure, Sue. That's Mark Von Shelwitz. He's the VP Western Canada of Restaurants Canada. It is coming up to 9.09 on the morning news. A Calgary-based company has come up with noise reduction technology that will be installed in fire trucks to help protect first responders from the noise pollution from sirens. Joining us to explain is Norm Bogner, co-founder of Calgary-based Zero Sound Systems Incorporated. Good morning to you, Norm. Good morning, Andrew. So tell us about it. Uh, First of all, uh, what is this technology that can eliminate sound? Sure, sure. Um, to give some context, uh, you know, we all love sound and it adds to our daily lives in so many ways. But when that sound gets to be annoying, it turns into noise. And right now, there are a few effective solutions to deal with noise and noise pollution. And with over half the world's population now living in cities, and that number growing daily, um, cities around the world are targeting noise and noise pollution. And building it bigger, thicker, taller has been the plan for decades, uh, but that isn't really effective, and these things are generally eyesores. So where zero sound comes in um, is that we provide this solution at scale. Current solutions are not scalable and done typically at one person at a time. And with zero sound, we can deploy this both indoors, outdoors, on pieces of equipment, um, in small rooms, large areas, and everything in between. 
So you're testing at first norm to, to see how you can, you know, dampen the noise for first responders in, for example, a fire truck? Right. So in the fire truck application specifically, and we're thrilled to announce our, our partnership with Rosenbauer America, who are one of the largest manufacturers of fire trucks, both in North America and globally. Um, we have an application where we can reduce the sound inside the cab itself, which can get to be north of 100 decibels, which is uh, very loud and, and often beyond uh, safety standards. So we can reduce that noise inside the, uh, the cab itself. And also, once the responders are on site and they're working uh, with their equipment at full power, we have an application where we can pre protect the first responders outside the cab uh, when communication and lives are on the line. Okay, so we talked about what it does, but I, I'm wondering, like, physically, is this a, a coating, a fabric, or is it something electronic that uh, counters and cancels the noise? Sure. Um, so it is a hardware and a software. So it's 100% fully digital. Mm -hmm. So zero, the system will understand the noise coming in. It'll analyze it and we'll put it through our algorithm. And then our proprietary hardware will produce the opposite sound wave to those that are coming in, thereby reducing it. So if you picture two pebbles in a pond when you drop them in the same, at the same time, waves are created, and when those waves hit one another, they'll cancel, uh, cancel each other out. And that's essentially how our noise cancelling technology works. Fascinating. Okay, so, so this is a, a test system. Could this eventually be, I'm assuming that's your goal, is to apply this in everyday life in our homes, for example? Absolutely. We're now beyond tests. We've had the uh, technology validated uh, at SAIT uh, from a third-party perspective, and we're now at the early commercialization stage. So one of the first applications, as you mentioned, is in the fire trucks and first responders, but that quickly um, explodes into applications in industrial uh, equipment and vehicles, construction, both for demolition and noise control, um, bars and restaurants, you name it, outdoor concert venues, mm -hmm. which I know is near, near and dear to Calgary and the Stampede mm -hmm. uh, issues that, that we have. So, yes, we're at the early commercialization stage, but that is ramping up incredibly quickly. Okay, here's another technical question for you because I love throwing uh, hardball <laughs> questions in. Um, so because it's generating a sound to cancel out the other sound, it is, in fact, generating a sound, would I still be able to hear, for example, if I'm in a fire truck with the sirens, it would cancel the siren noise so I can, you know, hear my thoughts. If somebody was honking a car horn outside behind me, would I hear that? Yes, yes. And while the name Zero Sound is, uh, is, is ideally, if it's great from a marketing um, and application perspective, we don't bring the sound down to zero. Just if you're familiar with uh, noise-canceling headphones, mm -hmm. you can still hear the conversations beyond you or behind you um, to a point. So what the zero sound does is reduce the noise to an acceptable and safer level so that you can conduct, uh, conduct your conversations, business, or emergency situation that much more effectively. Norm, are you getting attention from elsewhere? And I asked that question in that how important is, is something like this to a little old Calgary-based company? Absolutely. And, and the... Um, the great aspect here, and many people have said, and you guys have the tiger by the tail, is that noise pollution is indeed that. This is an environmental problem with significant health 
issues, everything from hearing impairment to uh, to cardiovascular issues. Uh, so we've got global attention in industrial equipment and vehicles, construction site uh, applications, traffic noise barriers, manufacturing facilities. It is it is truly a um, a global problem that isn't culture or border specific. So being a Calgary based technology and company with manufacturing that'll take place here. Um, we're super excited to be able to scale right here and local. Norma, get uh, text. Our text line is always open at 403-974-8255. Question is, uh, would it block my neighbor's loud music? <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it, it's hilarious. And the, the short answer is yes, um, absolutely. From the consumer applications where you can localize your own call it your sound zone um, to reduce chainsaws lawnmowers and it doesn't take long for other people to start asking uh, what about my spouse what about snoring <laughs> how could this save some marriages and all of that these are part of the uh, the r&d that is ongoing and the applications truly are there because the noise itself what is generating it is less important than, uh, than how we deploy it and where you want to protect yourself from that annoying noise. People are fascinated. Another texter saying, I'm a heavy equipment operator. I'm interested in getting that tech installed in heavy equipment. Somebody else saying, I need noise dampener for my apartment. And then somebody else asking, could this kind of tech be used for ringing in your ears? Would there be an application there? So all of that, let's start from the industrial and equipment application. Uh, yes, we are already here. With Rosenbauer being a fantastic use case example, um, that's a noisy pump and a noisy piece of equipment. So modifying it for uh, large industrial applications, absolutely. Uh, in condos and apartments, um, another fantastic application. Application. Now we get into a little bit more sophisticated and nuanced uh, application of the technology when you reduce it. Uh, to that level for tonight, it's sort of ringing in the ears. But again, the physics are there. The proof is there that it can work. That's just part of where our R&D um, research and the funding required for it uh, come into play. But all of those applications, absolutely. Good stuff. Exciting time for mm-hmm. Zero Sound. Uh, thank you for telling us about the technology and happy to have you in, in Calgary too. That's great stuff. Terrific, guys. Appreciate it. That is Norm Bogner, co-founder of Calgary-based Zero Sound Systems Incorporated, online at www.zerosound.net. 7.19 on the morning news. When we talk about living a long, healthy life, the focus tends to be on diet, exercise, and, of course, regular visits to healthcare professionals as keys to success. Now, a new study offers a different point of view, the importance of where we live. With the details, we're joined by our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Sounds very interesting. So within this study, what, what, what do we find the connection between life expectancy and, and where we live, the environment or the community? Yeah, so the whole premise of this was, was uh, that genetics only play a smaller part than we might expect. So somewhere in the range of 20 to 35% of, of how long we're going to live is factored into genetics and everything else after that we always think of as lifestyle as you sort of said in the uh, in the uh, in the lead-in um, but what this study looked at this was coming out of Washington um, 
was where you lived actually might have, might predict a lot more. So they looked at all people 75 years old and, and older as they were dying and as they were living and what are the difference between these. And the findings were that a city that was very walkable was actually a huge factor. Mm. So walkability, and then after that, it was a socioeconomic status, and that could be urban versus rural. So there's no real... Uh, difference between urban and rural as long as there's a high socioeconomic status. Um, and then after that, a diversity of age, that they looked at factors of how many people were working and the, sort of the breadth of age difference. Uh, and the higher that factor is, the higher the, uh, the chance you could live to 100. So these sort of three features just alone seem to predict uh, clusters of people hitting their uh, 100th hundredth birthday or older um, compared to not having those features, which is kind of interesting. Interesting, but I mean, it makes sense and it reminds us, you know, highly walkable areas. We need to get out, we need to exercise, we need to move no matter our age. And really, you know, when you get older, being around people who are a bit younger kind of keep you on your toes too, right? Oh, very much so. And I, you know, definitely noticed that, um, you know, communities that are very active when we see people out walking and cycling, it just makes you think you better get out there exactly. and do it yourself. Guilts you, you know, into it. if you were in a neighborhood where you saw nobody outside, nobody on the streets, that sort of doesn't make you want to go out there, does it? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is because you could always walk on a treadmill, but this really, to me, underscores the connection uh, uh, with other people and the friendships and the com- camaraderie yeah. we need in our lives. You no, know, very much uh, so, because those factors do, they would point to a more of a, so, a social connection um, more than not, right? So it isn't if you live in this certain, uh, I, I don't know, uh, old age uh, or uh, long-term care facility, you're more likely to live older. It's no, if you live in a community that's uh, that has everyone in it and everyone is uh, social, you're more likely to uh, to be healthy, right, or to live a healthier lifestyle. It really does make sense, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, there's nothing here that isn't, uh, isn't. but it's interesting to see science prove that common sense, uh, like what you think common sense-wise actually is true. So if you want to live to a ripe old age, get your butt up off the couch, get out there. And, and maybe that's, a, you know, a good thing that we think about as we're moving, if, you know, we think about the community that we're moving to. So I appreciate your research. Thanks for joining us, Dr. J. Okay, you betcha. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. 88-848 now, and uh, as we check in now, uh, the Punjabi Community Health Services putting together an online webinar that's going to take place tomorrow to help students and teens learn tips and techniques to create healthy relationships and effective communication. Important that we talk about this all, at all times, but especially right now. With all the details, we're joined by case manager and provisional psychologist for the Punjabi Community Health Services, Harman Bath. Good morning, Harman. Good morning, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. I think, you know, as I said, I think it's an important thing that we, we teach our kids how to communicate tips and techniques for healthy relationships, but especially now as we're heading through a, a very difficult and different time. But what will your, your, uh, your, your event that you're doing tomorrow, what's that going to do for young folks in our community? Mm-hmm. 
So like you said, it is definitely going to discuss uh, communication tips as well as how to maintain those healthy relationships. And if the teens are struggling, uh, how to seek help um, because there are always people in our lives that we can reach out to, but oftentimes we are not aware of that. Um, so it's going to discuss that as well as, um, you know, how that the unhealthy relationships can impact your mental health. So it's going to touch upon that as well. So Harmon, I'm wondering, was this in the works before the pandemic or is this a reaction to the pandemic? Because a lot of these kids who might have had some resources that they could access in school don't have that right now. Mm-hmm. So definitely we will focus. It is in reaction to after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when the idea came about. So definitely yeah, the resources that uh, kids uh, could use teachers in schools, but now that's not there anymore. So it is, it's become even more important that we discuss this topic. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what does a teen healthy relationship webinar look like? What, you know, is, obviously it's online because we can't do the big group thing during this pandemic, okay. but what, what, what will you be focusing on? So the main focus uh, is going to be, like we said, communication tips, sharing communication tips and how we can identify if the relationship is uh, going towards an unhealthy route, um, how we can identify that, Um, as well as, um, you know, just uh, building confidence and self-esteem in these um, teenagers and um, youth. Uh, So... Uh, yeah, so we are going to talk about that as well. So, of course, when they attend the webinar, um, it, it will be more details. Okay. So are you mm-hmm. expecting a, a certain number or how can teens uh, register ahead for something like this or do they have to? Yes. So they do have to register and they can register via, um, it, they, we have a link on our uh, Facebook page, uh, PCHS Calgary Facebook page, or they can give us a call at our number at 587-999-9312, or they can email us at info at pchscalgary.com to uh, get that link and register. Now, Harman, it's being put on through the Punjabi Community Health Services, but is it open to everyone and what age group are you looking for? So we are looking for the ages between 12 years and 18 years old. Um, how it's open to any community, and um, you know that is kind of the age group we're targeting because oftentimes we see that uh, that's where uh, the relationships are building and our kids are working on those. Uh, yeah, so that is the age group. Good stuff. Thank you very much for telling us all about it, Harmon. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. That is Harmon Bath, case manager and provisional psychologist for Punjabi Community Health Services webinar. And you can go on to Facebook. Great place to find mm-hmm. all the information. PCHS Calgary on Facebook. Easy spot. 819 on the morning news. Are you excited for another one there, Sue? I am. I, am. I love the Community Champion program. It is so fun, and that's why we've extended it a little bit longer. I think it's outstanding because we want to shine the spotlight on people who, uh, you know, aren't just in their lane, but they're going above and beyond to help those around them, their neighbors, their mm-hmm. co-workers, family, and friends. And we get to hear another incredible story right now. And the way this works is we hear the story as told by the nominators of said champion. And this is Candace Harris on the line. Good morning, Candace. Hi there. So you heard about the community champions. You had somebody in mind, so you wrote the story of uh, somebody in your neighborhood by the name of Steve. Tell us about this. Yes. 
I'm in Lakeview, the neighborhood of Lakeview, and Steve Webb was our champion in our community during the COVID crisis. Um, He had seen the story, I don't know if everyone recalls, the senior citizen couple who were outside their vehicle at the grocery store for 45 minutes because they were afraid to go in Mm -hmm. and shop. Steve had seen that story and came to the forefront for our neighborhood of Lakeview in uh, putting out flyers. He and his son delivered like 2,500 flyers around our neighborhood to help those of us that are seniors that were, you know, afraid to go into the grocery stores because of the virus. So he put together a lot of volunteers in our neighborhood, like I think around 60 volunteers in Lakeview came forth, offered their services, and he coordinated everybody to shop, do grocery shopping, or get um, pharmacy items, bakery, whatever it was that we needed, followed all the HS, the Alberta Health Services guidelines, and delivered them. And it was just a huge, huge relief, comfort, really, for us as seniors that were afraid at that time to go into the, the stores. And did he was he charging Candace to do no, something like this? Absolutely not. Because that's the kind of guy he is, right? He was so he took down everybody's list, went out and purchased, and then dropped it off all clean and with a big old yep. smile and didn't ask for anything in return. He was absolutely nothing in return. None of the volunteers. He coordinated everybody. Cheerful, helpful. You know, he just took up the challenge and helped our community. What I think is great, too, is he involves his son as well. So it's a, a real family yeah. affair. So you've seen him and his son together around town? Uh, just around the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. It was absolutely heartwarming at that time and still is for him to have done all that, make the deliveries, ask nothing in return, and just got a big heart. Love good it. Stuff. Great they did story. over like 20 deliveries a day at times. Wow. And kept and kept folks from having to go out when they weren't, yeah. you know, con- when they were really concerned about their own health. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And it just it made a massive, massive difference to myself, to the neighborhood, to all our community. He just just took the big step and and did it. To, you know, gave us lots of comfort over all our concern and worries about shopping. Excellent, Candice, and it made enough of an impact for you to write in, so we appreciate it. Thank you for sharing the story of uh, Steve Webb. All right. Well, thank you to Steve and his volunteers. Good stuff. Well, we're still asking folks to uh, write in about your community champ. We want to acknowledge as many of them as we can. So if there's somebody who's done something that you thought just was above and beyond and was fantastic during this crazy pandemic time, we'd love for you to go online at 770chqr.ca. Scroll down a little bit to our contest tab, and all you have to do is nominate the person, and bada boom, bada bing, we'll try to acknowledge each and every one of them.